Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Don Malone has been at the center of the media industry for 50 years as the architect of a cable and broadband ecosystem that defined the way Americans consume media for generations. With that world undergoing great change, the 82-year-old Malone has some definite thoughts about where things are headed. And if you need a reason to listen, consider this. One dollar invested with Malone in 1973 would be worth 3750 today. He joined me from Liberty Media's headquarters in Colorado. Well, a year ago we talked, and you were not a believer necessarily in the ad-supported streaming tiers as much. I am not on entertainment, okay? Because I think most people feel that the big breakthrough of Netflix was no ads. So you notice Netflix is not getting a huge take-up of save a couple bucks and take ads. Now, Amazon right now on Prime is thinking about going the other way, put ads in everything, right? Because they're building a big ad business. They already have an enormous ad business. Netflix tried to outsource their ad business to Microsoft, and so far, I don't think it's created any big buzz. So you have an Amazon monster. But I think the question you and your, your viewers have to focus on is the distinction between library entertainment services and live, whether it's sports or news or, or other kind of talk shows, things that are like you, okay? Financial news. Of course. Live, real time, okay? Completely necessary at all yeah. times, John. Yes. Well, here you have a real anomaly, okay? Because when it comes to live, which has really always been the backbone of broadcast, uh, and broadcast continues uh, to survive, but under real pressure as big tech competes for sports. So whether the economics uh, of sports continuing to drive broadcast, uh, the anomaly is that, that uh, network neutrality, the government policy, creates this this crazy world in which Amazon can go buy Thursday night football for multiples of what the industry has been paying. And for distributors like Charter or Comcast, uh, instead of it being one uh, linear channel, which consumes, you know, which is everywhere and consumes perhaps one thousandth of one percent of the capacity of the network, suddenly it becomes 30 million streams, okay, uh, on Thursday night, uh, uh, essentially choking the, the networks with uh, and forcing the, uh, the distribution companies to spend a lot of money on, on expanding capacity rapidly, uh, and yet it costs Amazon nothing for the transport. So what we've created here is a, a, an open path for big tech to essentially uh, decimate 
let's yeah. call it. Not uh, to mention old, their endless balance sheets anyway, well, which yeah, they, they don't can, even get judged well, on. I well, mean, they have, what they have, they have two things when you really look at it. From an antitrust point of view, they have cross uh, synergies. So they can argue that they're not underpricing. This isn't a loss thing, okay? Because they get synergies with Prime out of adding this. And it, they make so much money with Prime that the money they lose looked at on a standalone basis. And they also have cross-subsidy. So yeah, they make a lot of money. They got a big balance sheet. They can take some of that and they can buy a Thursday night football away from broadcast. Or Sunday ticket on YouTube. Or, or Sunday right. ticket. So you can see the conversion. What's happening now is the fight is no longer for entertainment library services. That has kind of settled down to where you know, one company's making money. Netflix. Netflix. Uh, Warner Brothers now is making money. Not a lot, but they're making money. And then you have Disney losing a lot of money, Peacock losing a lot of money, uh, Paramount losing a ton of money that they can't afford. You know, at least Brian can afford to lose the money. He makes a lot of yeah, It's not fun losing two and a half billion a year, though. It isn't. <laughs> but, you know, until he sees light at the end of the tunnel, I mean, that's where he's at. And uh, so he'll be trying to figure out solutions, too. And, and all the other guys are just seeing their viewership. They're right. still only in the linear space. They're seeing their revenue streams and their viewership. So how do you pay for the NBA, for example, if you are Warner Brothers Discovery? Very difficult. You look for a big tech partner, basically. Uh, you look for somebody else. So you're going to pay the same amount for less, probably. Correct. You're That's the what package. you'll end up with. You'll end up being, this is the dilemma of, of the fact that the government has allowed big tech to cross over into another industry. And I noticed there's been a movement and complaints at the FCC about small broadcasters who are having a hard time making sense right. of it, right? We now have a situation where broadcasting is likely to be, uh, over the years, destroyed, frankly, by trying to compete with big tech that has no distribution cost. I mean, look, if you wanted to start a premium sports channel, you'd have to come to the distributors and make a deal. Yep. You'd have to split the revenue, right? And you might get distribution over time from all the players. But if you go on the internet and stream it, it costs you nothing, it takes you no time, right? So this is a losing battle. It's a losing battle, yeah. So I think, you know, eventually maybe there'll be regulatory relief, uh, of, relief some of some kind. Uh, it's clearly unfair. Uh, the broadcasters clearly used to have a lot of politics. And as they start to really feel the, the pain, they may, uh, they may be able to to get some relief. Well, meanwhile, they but used once to... again, sports sports is it. Sports is the thing to watch. Some big tech companies are going to try and create their own sport, right, and own it, own the rights, so that they. Uh, no, in a normal world, in my opinion, big tech would have already bought old media, acquired them, swallowed them, and it would have been a smooth transition. But because of antitrust concerns, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But by the so, way, even because of antitrust, like uh, Comcast, Warner Brothers Discovery, I should say, sorry, NBCU, Warner Brothers Discovery, yeah. might not happen if, right. if they wanted it to happen. No, that's right. So 
consolidation of any kind seems to be off the table to a certain extent. Yeah, until, until there's a uh, uh, loss. In other words, there is an exemption to the antitrust laws on a failing business. Yeah, well, that's not pretty for anybody, though. Well, it made us a lot of money with Sirius. Yes, it did. But, uh, <laughs> yes, it did. But, but so at some point of distress, right, then some of the restrictions get, get uh, looked the other way. But I think the last big media purchase was MGM by Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. And since then, I think big tech has been content to just outbid old media for anything that they think they can use to drive market share or for whatever promotional reasons they want. So, you know, the fastest growing video, linear video company right now, I believe, is YouTube. Yeah, right. it's a giant. If you look at it from the distributor's point of view, from the, what used to be the cable company, we now call it broadband, right? So if you're a broadband company like Charter or Liberty Global, Liberty Latin America, and, and, or Comcast, okay, what you're looking at is, hmm, these guys are all going to buy all this sports content, and they're all going to stream it. There's going to be an enormous appetite for capacity on the network, and that's us. Wireless can't do that. So this fixed wireless thing mm -hmm. that has caused a little... Caused a hiccup in broadband hiccup sub in valuation and valuation. That's just not going to be able to handle. They don't have enough spectrum. They're not going to have the capacity to handle this massive growth in streaming. And therefore, uh, the broadband companies will at worst be a duopoly with the incumbents who, who are trying to overbuild. Now, the overbuilders, in my opinion, will mostly go broke because they can't get a return uh, at today's interest rates, capital costs. They're just not attractive. So Do you include AT&T as an overbuilder? Yes. Yeah. They made a commitment in order to get some deals done that they were going to overbuild themselves with fiber, and they've done some of that. And so I think all the business models that Brian has, that, that Rutledge had, were all based upon expectation of a fiber competitor on some portion of the footprint. Um, I think that has all slowed down, even with the incumbents, because of their other financial pressures. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for Verizon or AT&T, uh, they're paying horrendous dividend ratios right now to support their stocks. They are. I mean, Verizon, though, has gone in on fixed wireless, even though they have files. And, well, they and always then, were. When yeah, I was at yeah. DirecTV, when I was chairman of DirecTV, we were experimenting with Verizon on fixed wireless. Right. So the concept... But it's capacity constrained. You it's can't, totally capacity it, constrained. And eventually, you're going to want to use that for your for wireless customers. Correct. And therefore, I think that, that that as a technological competitor is a little overblown right now. Uh, but it has slowed. Uh, they haven't taken customers so much as they've slowed growth. And I, I expect that the broadband companies also saw a little growth that came out ahead of time because of COVID. So, so there's probably still a little catch-up going on there where people are, are saying, if I had a cheaper alternative, I'd take it. You know? Right. Um, ESPN, yep. which we have talked about and you have right. talked about for many years right. in terms of the cost of the bundle and what it did to it, right. and sports rights we've discussed. Yeah. What do you think happens to ESPN? Well, one of two things happens. 
Disney gets bought and ESPN gets sold to private equity, right? Which I've been predicting for 10 years now. I just don't now. know who buys Disney. I don't think Apple, Apple does it. They don't do it. John, they don't do deals. You know that. That's you went out and met with, with Cook. I, remember, I know I you did. I have suggested this And to he Tim. didn't even know what you were coming been, to talk to him about. I've been talking to Tim Cook about this for 10 years. <laughs> and he's so, not listening. So I know. He, no, he always asks me the same question. What John, this? what would I do with ESPN? And I say, you'd sell it to private equity. So Is he interested? Know, I say this a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Uh, I think if there were no antitrust issues and so on, don't, remember, don't forget, he was on Iger's board and Iger was on his board. I mean, those guys are, they know each other's business. Yeah, but like Apple's biggest deal is a $3 billion deal to buy Beats. They just don't do it. I understand. That said, what happens to ESPN, very similar to what happened to Disney+. Plus. Uh, when they start streaming it, the streaming version with ads will be part of the cable bundle, okay? And, uh, and it'll be like Mox Next, no difference. You know, you're, you could go by the stream of ESPN if you want, or you can just continue to receive it as part of your bundle. And, uh, you know, why would you pay for it twice? Okay, it's gonna be the theory. And, and so, it, to me, when I saw that solution, I said, yeah, this is rational. These guys are going to have businesses that will transition slowly to the future instead of this being some kind of an abrupt break because it would get to the point where, you know, the cable guys are saying, we don't get any margin out of this. It's a terrible business. It has too much capital. The hell with it. We'll go out of it. And there have been cable companies in the U.S. that have done that, and, and their, their multiple has gone up, okay? at least for a while. Right. I thought that was a terrible outcome. Uh, I would much rather see the, cable, uh, the broadband companies be distributors of, of streams in bundles, in packages, whatever, because the two are kind of tied to the hip. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if all media goes down, it isn't going to be good for the cable guys to only deal with big tech. Coming up, Malone gets real on the Warner Discovery merger. I, I think, I think we, were, we were somewhat misled. We were some kind of somewhat naive. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. How are you feeling about Warner Brothers Discovery? Well, here's what I feel, you know, and I, we, we caught a lot of flack for doing the deal. I mean, A, we didn't have the opportunity to do enough diligence. And I think when, when the merger took place, we were surprised at, at how deteriorated it's, the cash flow of the business was and how large the, the commitments were on content. So it was in substantially worse shape than, than our diligence uh, because we had to rely on public uh, filings 
And when you're talking about a subsidiary of a very large company. Do you feel like you were misled or? Yeah, I, I think, I think we, were, we were somewhat misled. Uh, we were some kind of somewhat naive. And then also, I think the whole attitude about streaming, okay, suddenly turned south. Okay, so it was a whole bunch of things. But what we walked into was an over-levered balance sheet, okay? Very much so. You know, I think probably the initial leverage spot on that day was probably five and a half times. Now, we were lucky that when we financed it, we financed it as an investment-grade uh, balance sheet, and therefore the debt stack is investment-grade. With the you know, it, it's an excellent, uh, it's, a, it's a pile of debt, but it's excellent, okay? And uh, it became very clear to all of us that David's number one function was drive up cash flow and drive down debt, the ratio as well as the absolute level. And he's done, I think, a brilliant job of, uh, of taking leverage down. And I think, you know, I don't know what they're telling the public, my guess is, you know, at the rate they're going, they'll be under four times at, end, yeah. at the end the, of the year. Our, this interview will actually air after their earnings. So, okay. yeah. And, uh, and, um, yeah, I believe they'll be maybe three eight. Mm -hmm. Okay, with having paid down another six billion uh, out of free cash flow, not out of selling things, out of free cash. So he's rapidly getting to the point where they do have, uh, they will have cash flow with the freedom to decide how to allocate it, uh, as opposed to, you know, having to be driven solely by, so, solely by getting fixing, that debt fixing down. the balance sheet. And it's a tough couple of years, and he's been pretty, pretty draconian with the tightness, but he's got max profitable now, and it was bleeding a couple billion uh, when we got involved. And so I think, I think the team has done a great job our, our take on doing the deal was we saw what was coming. We, saw, we tried to launch streaming from discovery. We had modest success. We were a little better than break even. You know, uh, we were never going to get scale with only discovery content. And we figured they just run over us eventually. The decline of linear, uh, no good mm -hmm. answer too small to be a major player. You know, in all honesty, we'd visited Tim Cook. I tried to sell Discovery to Tim Cook two or three times. And he wasn't interested. Well, you know, what he would say to me privately was, John, it's not exactly all the kind of content that Apple won. You know, naked and afraid, you know, <laughs> shows like that. That's not exactly... Uh, up to Apple's brand standards. So, <laughs> so we would laugh about it. But, but no, I mean, uh, you know, he was interested in, in some projects with us, but, right. but uh, he really was not really a candidate. But back to, to our, 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 one of our discussions, yeah. does Warner Brothers Discovery, does the streaming service now, Max, which yeah. encompasses obviously HBO no. and these, is it, can it get to the scale that you think will enable it to really well, we'll see how we do internationally. We're just in the process of launching uh, Max internationally. And keep in mind, a lot of Netflix customers are international and relatively low revenue per sub. So my guess is that, that we'll be able to grow Max in sub count 
and probably profitability. Can we get it to the same level of profitability that we've had with the linear? No. So what we've got to count on is linear living longer and, and transitioning into some kind of a hybrid bundle that, uh, that sustains some of the margin contribution that we've historically had. And the only way we can do that is cooperation with our historic distributors. We're not going to get their direct consumer. So we've got... Back we've, to the Disney charter, back to... Back to work together. You may hate your distributor, you may have nasty fights over price, but at the end of the day, you're really rowing in the same boat. And you know, you're rowing and bailing together, and you better figure out how to work together to sustain this ecosystem, because your big enemy is big tech. They're slowly gonna, gonna try and crunch you. And you should be working together as, as an old media industry collectively to figure out how to provide the best service and still be economically viable. Yeah. Do you, so, think, do you think, Brian, uh, and Comcast still will have interest in Warner Brothers Discovery if they could figure something out? It's not clear to me. But not I'm clear curious. to me either. It's not clear to me that Brian... I, I still think Brian loves the distribution business, isn't, isn't so sure about the content business, and absolutely loves theme parks. Theme parks have been the, the growth engine. It's a growth engine, and it's a real estate business, and big tech can't crunch it. He doesn't have to worry about what big tech's going to do. But when the tax, when it rolls in, two, you know, in the spring, when yeah. it's two years, yeah. gonna, I'm sure there'll be speculation, whether it's worthy or not. That, I believe you know, that... Given where the stock price... Well, what we don't I, know where what I believe will be. is that all of these companies should be talking to each other about whether there are synergies. Synergies in, in total combination, synergies in sharing content, synergies and one guy becoming an output engine and the other guy being the, the platform. I think we're in a period of rapid transition and for survival, all of these guys who don't have it made need to become creative. And the only way you can be creative is to get ideas from your brethren. You know? Well, you've talked but, about bundling the streamers. Yeah. In other words, yeah. some sort of new, or at least one proposition to the consumer. Sure. With, is that, like, a, is that does, could that really happen? I mean, well, you it could certainly something? happen if, if one, one of the streams was focused on one type of demographic and the other, another type of demographic. So like a Disney Plus together with Max might be a pretty decent combination. You might also see sports-related or focused bundles. You know, David, you know, your old buddy Zasloff, He's experimenting right now with putting a form of CNN on the Max bundle. He's also going to put some sports stuff on the bundle and see what that does to right. churn, to consumer interest. Does it bring different Does that upset the distributors or no? I think the distributors are all in this world of, we'll get them when he renews, Right. And just, just like Charter yeah. did with Disney, which right. is, yeah, Disney can experiment and they can do this and that and the other thing, but when they have to come back to us for the vast bulk of their profitability, we're going to sit down and have a serious discussion about the future. And I thought 
both sides handled themselves with great dignity in that they didn't go out and say the other guy is a jerk. And, you know, they negotiated. They were trying to get the other side to understand it from their point of view. Mm -hmm. You know, here's how we look at it. Here's and I think they ended up with a good, a good solution, which I think will be the model now for some of these uh, old media streams. Next, Malone on what he thinks is the biggest threat to corporations. This is the most scared I've ever been in my adult life of geopolitics. Interest rates oh, yeah. being where yeah. they are yeah. uh, and the cost of capital the high cost of capital. Right. I'm just curious how you view that, you know, how you, if at all, change your capital allocation strategy among some of the businesses or think about things, given mm -hmm. we're in a world that we haven't been in for quite some time. No, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're in a higher for longer interest rate environment or cost of capital environment, I think. <clears throat> Somewhat of a return to norm normality. Uh, sure. I mean, I'm arguing right now on a personal investment. They want to buy an apartment building. Uh, and I don't want to buy an apartment building because I think uh, the leverage is too expensive and too uncertain. And I don't think the, the market value or the, the cost of the purchase uh, is justified or it reflects the current cost of capital environment. So. I've killed a number of deals, personal deals, that were based upon uh, you know, that changing landscape. And you know, this is all about the present value of future cash flows and, and the terms under which uh, you can have access to the capital. So you know, for a while there, I was borrowing money at 1%, euros at 1% or less on a long-term fixed basis. And that made buying almost anything on a levered basis, shooting fish in a barrel. Now it's a much more difficult thing. From an industry point of view, I think there's way too much competition came into a lot of businesses because of cheap capital. And a lot of that, particularly overbuilding in the cable business or the broadband business, I think is starting to dry up because the returns just aren't there if you're paying 7 or 8% for your money. If you continue to have to... To borrow, yeah. right? So. And also how, how much of the capital structure can be borrowed with the debt service being a lot higher. So it takes a lot more equity and the returns are much skinnier on an on a after financing basis. So it is changing the landscape in our industries. Um, you know, everybody who has a levered balance sheet, whether they're a content or distributor in our industry, they're all looking at the same thing. How long have I got? When's my next refinance? And how much is it going to cost me? Right. Uh, people who have issued debt, very long debt, very favorably, uh, like your own company, for instance, is sitting there looking at very long debt that's trading at under 50 cents on the dollar, not on a credit basis, just on a on the cost fact of money basis. Right. Well, you can delever pretty fast if you can buy your debt back at 50 cents on the dollar. And it also gives you a pretty nice boost to earnings. So people are starting to focus a little bit on opportunistically managing their balance sheet uh, 
while keeping the other eye on, on maturities. But for these businesses that still need to grow or still need to build and obviously expend a lot of capital to do that, is it a, it's a different world now, isn't it? Slows it slows them way down, makes it much more difficult to raise either equity or debt yeah. uh, because the business strategy has to change to reflect the cost of capital. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty dramatic shift here in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, and I don't think it's going to change as fast as perhaps the equity markets think it might. Why not? I just think it's, once inflation gets embedded, okay, and you have a federal government running pretty massive deficits, uh, so, so the federal government to finance itself, with the Federal Reserve saying we're not gonna print, and, and actually trying to shrink their balance sheet, and the federal government running, who knows, two, two and a half trillion dollar deficit? that has to be financed, you're gonna have central governments crowding out other, other private needs for capital, and you're gonna see a sustained, unusually high interest rate environment up until they, they essentially address the deficit with taxes or some kind of a federal uh, reform. And this is true of most of the Western nations. So it's not just the U.S. that's in this situation. No, everybody seems to be running deficits. Right. Um, there are those who believe the Fed is going to be forced to potentially lower rates, in part because interest costs otherwise will overwhelm uh, the U.S. budget, uh, given we got 50%, yeah. I think, coming off in the next three but years. It's that's going to, be refinanced. to surrender to inflation, and then you run the risk of looking like Argentina, right? And you can't conduct a rational capitalist society if you have runaway inflation. You can't trust the capital. The other problem America has is if faith in the dollar as a reserve currency gets undermined because it looks like you know, we're going to inflate or devalue our obligations by inflating our currency, uh, other nations will stop using it as the reserve currency, which would be a disaster for the US dollar and our debt. You, if you think you've seen high interest rates, wait till that happens. Well, let's hope it doesn't. You don't yeah. think it will, do you? I don't know. I mean, this is the most scared I've ever been in my adult life of geopolitics. I mean, we've got, we've got an association forming between uh, Russia, Iran, and China, and maybe the Saudis. So you could have a new OPEC forming, uh, and you have also a couple of wars going on, and you might have another one. So, you know, I'm very concerned about the geopolitical thing. We're, we're, yeah. we, we look weak. Financially, we look weak now. We don't look, uh, we don't, we look very divided as a country. And we'll see whether the new leadership in the House can, can create some level of unity or direction. But, uh, but this, is a, this is a dangerous period with what's going on in the Middle East, with what's going on in Ukraine, with the increasing alliances being formed between Russia and China, you know, the two biggest nuclear powers uh, beside us. I mean, this is scary stuff. Next, how is the biggest landowner in the U.S. viewing his investments? Estate planning is just driving me nuts these days.
Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. John, I want to wrap up with a couple of questions, one of which I've asked you before. You don't like the question, but I have to ask it. Zaslav's comp, which comes up a lot. You paid him, I think, $825 million bucks, most of it in stock over the last, I don't know how many years. Well, it was not actually in stock. It was in stock options. Stock options. So, so was so it worth how it? Much of how it do is... you, like, when you talk to these, you know? <laughs> well, it would have been worth it. I mean, if he had actually got that much in value... It would have been. It would have represented an enormous increase in the value of the company. So the way I look at it is, you know, you could say the same thing about Greg. I mean, I've, I you am very your, you generous. You pay your people extremely well. Don't on you? The ups, only on the upside. Very little of it is is uh, fixed. Mm -hmm. If the performance isn't there, they never actually make the money. So Zaz hasn't made that? I mean, uh, He has not made a lot of money. He's made pretty good money, but he has not made anything like what the Black-Scholes model says that those options should have been worth because the companies haven't performed. Their equities haven't performed. These are all equity performance-based theories of compensation. So you give a guy a seven-year option on 1% of a $10 billion company, Right, and the Black-Scholes model says, "Oh my God, you've given them this huge amount of value." But if the if the stock doesn't move, right? Well, so in this case, the nothing. stock hasn't. Yeah, no, it's sort, yeah I mean, there was that brief period. So Kangos should have sold everything you had. So those options effectively turn out to be worthless. And he still think, made hundreds of millions of dollars. Zaslav, I'm not sure. I haven't looked back at how much he had. Some uh, restricted stock grants. Yes. Okay, so he gets the stock. Uh, he has to hold it for a certain number of years. But if the stock goes down, okay? I mean, we're talking about a company in Discovery that was trading at 30 to 40 bucks a share, and it's now just barely got inched above 10, those same shares. So, you know, three quarters of anything that he got in stock got wiped out in this, in this transaction with AT&T. And David had not sold any shares. Like, I never sold any shares. So, so all through this period when we had that crazy run-up of Discovery shares. Yeah, the Archegos. The Arca yeah. Uh, I couldn't sell because we were at talks with AT&T, and so neither could David. And so we didn't sell any of our shares. Now, a lot of people who weren't involved in those ta uh, talks, you know, bailed and made a lot of money. Yep. But, uh, but we didn't. So, you know, 
Do I overpay guys? I'm willing. See, here's how I look at business. Okay? I have a hotel business in Ireland. My two partners are, I call them sweat equity partners. They know the business. They were broke when I went into it, but they knew the business. So I just say, I'll put up the money, you put up the expertise, you guys will own 20 and I'll own 80, right? I make them my partners. And that's now, how you feel like you do that business is probably Freeze or Maffei yeah. or Zaslav. So or... that business here, despite COVID, is probably worth close to a billion dollars. So those guys are worth 200 million, right? Uh, did I overpay him? Could I have done that? Could I have built that business? I do that with all my personal businesses. I have partners everywhere. And, uh, and the partners benefit from the success of the business. Right. I put money into all kinds of young guys' venture capital ideas, right? Mm -hmm. I, my typical deal is 60-40. I get 60% of the upside. They get 40% of the upside. I get a 5% preference return, mm -hmm. okay? We use as much leverage as is prudent. And they go start, they go buy a business or they start a business or whatever. Yeah. And some of them, Bob Johnson. You right. Know, right. Worked out pretty well. Worked out well for Bob. So, so, you know, do you regard that as compensation to Bob or the benefits of ownership and the appreciation of an asset that he helped create? I mean, I, Barry Diller, for God's sakes. You know, Barry didn't have any assets to speak of when he got bumped out of, of uh, uh, QVC by Comcast, by Ralph. And he was on the beach, and he was a friend. And I said, how about, how about taking over and running HSN for us? I just got control of it, Barry, but I don't know anybody. You know, you just got exposed. He said, look, I've built three, three businesses for three companies, and I own nothing. And I said, okay, well, here's our deal, you know. You run it. I'll have nothing to do with it. I won't interfere. You get a proxy. On uh, your shares. I remember on my that, shares, right? And, and uh, you'll end up owning something at the end. You've made a lot of guys very, very wealthy. Very, very wealthy. Well, that's my approach to life because I can't possibly know enough to manage the breadth of businesses that I've been in. Yeah. And so you have to make these guys your partners. John, on that, I'd love to end on sure. sort of your personal fortune, how mm -hmm. you're viewing things these days. Yeah, yeah. You, are you still the largest landowner yeah, in the United States? Yeah, I think States? I am. Although Stan um, Kroenke, is, he's catching up. He's catching me. up? Yeah, he is. He loves land, too. He's a good guy. How, are but, you thinking any differently? We've talked about this, though not in a few years. Do you, do you think a, any differently My about land it? investments are, I, I would call them a preservationist. Right. Okay. So my goal is the vast majority of our lands hopefully stays open and preserved and used appropriately for, for quality of life, you know, forestry for forestry and for outdoor activities and so on. So that's my goal and, you know, in the West for energy production and so on. But it gets basically, uh, it's a philanthropical mm -hmm. for the land, for the bulk of the land. You know, we own a ton of suburban Denver. And it's appreciated a lot. Appreciated a lot, right? A You've lot. developed yeah. a lot of... Well, I haven't developed anything. I oh. have 100,000 acres here in the suburbs. And, you know, it's probably pretty valuable. Uh, I would think it is. Yeah. I would think it is. Hopefully, it'll be a park. You know, it'll be open. 
right? Uh, that's the goal. You're all good on your estate planning, I assume. I can't imagine. John, if, if you would be the number one, I would think. You no, got it all. You'll never pay taxes. I'm you're sure. absolutely right. Estate planning is just driving me nuts these days. Coming up, Malone talks giving control to the next line of business leaders. My goal, as with Diller, is to transfer my control positions to the guys who made it happen. Estate planning is just driving me nuts these days. And you know, I've always assumed that I would die first. Leslie and I have been together for 65 years now. Wow. And uh, you know, guys usually don't live as long as their wives. You know, I hope that's the case. But so, you know, everything, everything in terms of the corporate stuff has very low tax basis and under, thank you, Ronald Reagan, if anything happens to me, it goes to her, gets stepped up in trust, and then it goes into our philanthropy so when she goes. The kids are all taken care of. Uh, I did grats for the kids and I've done grats for the grandkids and, and most of the relatives are okay. Uh, a disappointment to me that my son never really wanted to get involved in these business. He has his own business, but he never wanted to get involved in these businesses. But he does sit on the boards, uh, some of the boards, at my request, and I have a nephew that sits on some of the boards. My goal, as with Diller, is to transfer my control positions to the guys who made it happen. Okay, so I would love to see, because. I do believe there's a benefit to all the shareholders in having a benevolent control shareholder. You do. I do. Yeah. And uh, who but has it's just real... just Friesen's Aslov. It's not Maffei, correct? Hmm? It's just Friesen's Aslov. Well, I've already transferred control of a couple of things to Greg. Oh, you have? Yeah. TripAdvisor. Right. Right. And uh, he moved to, to uh, chair. I stepped back from chair of... Uh, of a couple of businesses that, that we sort of have control of and he's taken the lead. So, so no, I, I think Greg is very much uh, in line to be one of the, mm -hmm. the ending control shareholders. Because I believe in that. You know, these are the guys who, built, I didn't build these things, they did it. So they should end up with continuity to the degree that it makes sense, okay? Sometimes you can't make that happen, but but if you can, that would be desirable. And, and so you have continuity and stability. And uh, you know, I understand that my complexity of uh, tracking stocks, multiple shares, all kinds of things, you know, it's, it's an optimization structure, right? But it's transitional. It's always transitional. You know, you hold this thing in this situation until it's mature, or until you get a step up, or until you get this, that, it, and then it goes off. So we spun off the Braves earlier this year. Yep. Stock went up about 40% once we got it out of the complexity. Uh, it's still maybe a little undervalued, but you know it's a nice little real estate and and sport play. And the same, you know, ultimately is going to happen with things like Sirius. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, we've got. We have this position in um, Live Nation, Rapino is great. I mean, that company's on fire. And, uh, and we've got to figure out how ultimately our shareholders benefit from, from our ownership of 35% of, yep. of that. So it's, it's all of this sort of fine tuning.
But the general, generally, I mean, our estate plan is primarily philanthropy. Understood. Okay. Understood. And and uh, and with certain assets directed in certain directions, and others where control gets shifted to successors. Yep. Okay. But the, there's no particular urgency to liquidate the underlying asset. But with the transition of life comes the step up, comes the flexibility to redeploy concentrated assets more broadly. So diversification, you know, is prudent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we use two wealth management advisors that, uh, that help us, and one on the personal side and one on the foundation side. And, and they always push for diversification. Thanks for watching. I'll see you tomorrow morning on Squawk on the Street. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Mm -hmm.